DJ and PK, joined now by David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. And David joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line, T-Mobile and Sprint, coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David's appearance each week is brought to you by Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, EJ. How are you, PK? Great. Good. Glad to hear it. We are curious. There's much made of, you know, the Jazz and who do they want to play in the playoffs and all that. Uh, and Jazz fans all have their opinions. Who do you think the Nuggets wanted to play in the playoffs? Oh, I think if we're, if we're honest about it, the Jazz were the team that everyone wanted to play, right? Without Boyan Bogdanovich, like, if you're the Lakers and you had the first choice, you were taking the Jazz, right? Like, if the, the Lakers that. had to draft... Lakers, they, didn't want, they don't want Portland with their two bigs, and so then it's then you might not want Dallas because of Luka. So, um, you know, you're taking either Dallas or Utah at that point. I think that's, you know, and that's I'm not trying to be controversial or hot takey. Like, we're missing a 21-point-a-game score. We're a, very, we're a very different team than we were during the regular season. I, mean, I think that's what's so impressive about what Quinn and his staff did in this time period is they actually just kind of remade the entire... They used... It was really interesting. Mike Wells has been joining us in the second and fourth quarters of our broadcast. And Mike Wells said that they used... I mean, that they had just kind of endless Zoom meetings and they used the 60 games to figure out what they thought the flaws in their team were and and understand they didn't have Boyan and to rebuild the team, not to try to recreate what they had before, but to completely change the way the team was playing. So to take more threes, play faster, more catch-and-shoot threes, try to force more turnovers, um, be a little bit more aggressive than they had been since they're going to be smaller but quicker, um, and that they used that time to completely remake the team. And then, you know, and then the second goal was to see, you know, the Jazz have done a really great job in their developmental league. Bart Taylor was the GM of the year for the G League, and Martin Schiller was the coach of the year in the G League. And, that you know, that organization's built that really well. And then take the time in the bubble to give – those four primary guys, you know, 60 to 90 minutes of playing time against NBA opponents and see what you got. And I think they found out that they, they probably have two, possibly two regular rotation players and a third that certainly can be viable. And the fourth, all four of them can be viable. You would take the Jazz over in the short term, the Rockets without Westbrook? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, Harden's just a virtuoso. So you talk about the Jazz being remade, uh, but the Nuggets are really a different team than they were in those first 60-whatever games, aren't they? Well, with Michael Porter Jr. now as their starting small forward, that's a, that's a different player. I think that's going to be maybe one of the under kind of storylines of this is, is Michael Porter Jr. as inexperienced as he is, but unbelievably talented, ready to impact the playoff series either way. So are the Jazz going to go after him in every single pick and roll? And if he's guarding Joe Ingles, that we're just going to see Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert pick and rolls with Michael Porter Jr. trying to get through, since Torrey Craig will be draped all over Donovan. Um, and then on the other end, you know, is Michael Porter Jr. their release valve scorer? Jamal Murray and Jokic do a great job, but, you know, what – Millsap's aged significantly, and Jeremy Grant's a really nice player, but he's not that. Will Barton, Gary Harris are beat up, so then does Michael Porter Jr., average, I think, 22 points a game in the bubble, become their third scorer? He's just, and he, 
and he's a knockdown shooter. He's a 44% catch and shoot guy. Um, six people don't know him. He's six ten. He was the number one high school player in the country. He actually played around going to a bunch of different schools. He went to Nathan Hale in Seattle when his dad got a coaching job at the University of Washington, and then on uh, Lorenzo Romar got fired, so he didn't hold that recruit so then he went to Missouri played nine games ended up with a back injury and then when he came out of the draft uh he slipped because he was gonna have back surgery again it's kind of stunning how much he slipped just with his skill set and he's just I mean he's been he hasn't gotten the pub but he's been every bit as as impressive as Zion um this year kind of as as a rookie big name putting it together I think his true shooting percentage is actually better than Zion so I mean he's really he's really incredible is Jokic the best all-around center in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's a comp out there on Jokic. There's Larry Bird. And I actually think it's pretty good. So, kind of to wrap your head around where I'm going with that, Jokic gets 98 touches of the basketball game. That's the He and Luka are the highest two players in the NBA. So now stop thinking of him as like a 7-1 center. Start thinking of him as like a 7-1 point, point guard. And then he, there's a stat that's kept by B-Ball Index, which is uh, called team share percentage. So the amount of time you have the ball for your team. And Jokic has the ball 23% of the time, which is the most by any player on any team. So Jokic has the ball for Denver more than Chris Paul does for Oklahoma City, Trey Young for Atlanta, Harden for Houston. Like, think about some of those ball-dominant players we have in this league. Jokic actually has it more. Um, so this is a 7-1 point guard playing at the top of the key with the most handoffs of any team in the league. And it's, it's incredible. Um, and then, you know, add in that he's 7-1 so that, as we saw in the last matchup, he no longer plays Rudy straight up. He's always struggled against Rudy and Faves. He's played, he's played poorly against us. But this year he's changed. He's got room. He's got space. He's going out and isolating on that wing and then just bumping and backing and backing Rudy in. And inevitably Rudy reaches at some point and picks up a foul. Um, he, you know, he's been good when against Rudy. He's had massive games against us. The numbers when you actually isolate just Rudy guarding him, he's okay. He's not. He's good. He's not like great. He's shooting fifty three percent. Their offensive rate, offense is about a one hundred four. Um, so that's down considerably. Um, I'm babbling, but I've done a lot of work, so I apologize. Um, one thing I think is really interesting in this series is that both these teams kind of exploded on January 1. Uh, Denver started the year really poorly. Jokic was out of shape. Uh, they had a bunch of really bad offensive games. They got going. We made all the trades, got going. Since then, uh, many of our worst offensive games have come against each other. So as much as everyone's going to talk about this as an offensive series, for whatever reason, both these teams – Neither of these teams are great defensively, but both these teams have been able to have relative defensive success against each other. So, as you've watched these games, obviously he dropped a lot of weight uh, during the whole time the NBA was shut down. And, you know, that's first off, I think people always thought he was a little heavy and out of shape, and if you had an advantage against him, it was put in somebody who can run and, and run him up and down the court and try to beat him down and, and, and wear him down, right? You might get some easy buckets along the way, and then hopefully he's a little gassed in the fourth quarter and doesn't play as well and misses shots. 
He dropped the weight, that's great, but he dropped so much weight, people wondered, well, he's really good at what Ron Boone always calls, you know, using your body and using your body to create space. He's the master of a little bump with the shoulder and then a quick shot before you regain your balance so you can't get up. Has, has that weight loss hurt him at all? Because obviously it was going to help him a little bit. His conditioning wasn't great. But be, that size that he was using so well, does he miss it? I didn't see that. Um, in fact, I saw him kind of dominate the fourth quarter in overtime, right? Yeah, better shape. Um, I talk, I, right. You know, I talked to Adam Morris uh, of the Locked On Nuggets yesterday for a show, and um, his viewpoint is that Jokic is always game-managed. You know, he just is not a 48-minute-a-night player that he'll manage the game and then dominate when he needs to. I think we've seen that all three times we played them this year. Um, so even the last one, I thought his footwork looked better. Like, there's the play where, I mean, he was in the key for 17 seconds, but that footwork was pretty incredible um, and got Rudy six foul. Um, and, yes, it should have been three in the key. It doesn't take away the foot. The footwork was amazing. I think the footwork's better without the weight right now. So um, I thought he looked every bit as good as he was before. So you you say this opportunity here that these young guys have gotten to play has given them an opportunity to get into the rotation. So who are they, and what the what is the rotation going to be, and who's going to get fewer minutes based on somebody else who's played well? Well, there's 31 minutes to be had because Bogdanovich is out, and you know, frankly. Joe was already playing 30 and Royce was already playing 32 and Donovan was only playing 34. And Mike was playing 29. Like there, there, there aren't a lot of, those guys can only eat up so many of those 31. So you're still, I think, trying to figure out who's taking the 31. Um, you know, I think the five guys I just mentioned, will all add about, or four guys I mentioned plus Clarkson will all eat about two or three more. So that's probably 15 of the 31. So you're really looking for 15 minutes out of someone. And I actually think it's going to be Mia One. Uh, I think Oni is, um, it's Oni, excuse me. Um, I, I think Oni is, is shown that he's, he can play as the fifth best player on the floor. He can knock down enough shots. He's got a defensive presence. Um, so I think he'll get it. Rajon Tucker would, could be a possibility of some of those 50 minutes. He, he has a defensive force to him. This, I think he took 17 free throws in the bubble, maybe 19. It's really an impressive number. Um, and so depending on where the game is and if they, who they have on the floor defensively, if you think he can take advantage, you might play him. Um, I don't know how this series plays out that Jarrell Brantley plays, but I think Jarrell Brantley is intriguing enough that you, you could probably see him playing um, down the road a little bit. I'm curious to see what Denver does at backup center in this series. Um, they have Mason Plumley, who's really good. He's one of the few backup centers in the NBA that's big. Most backup centers in the NBA now are skilled players that, that aren't, you know, that kind of seven footer. But Plumley's one of the best passers in the league um, for big. That's why he compliments Jokic so well. However, in the previous games, they went to Jeremy Grant at center for brief stints, and every time they did it, they had great success. And if they go to Jeremy Grant at center, I don't know what we do to counter that. Um, we just don't have that roster spot right now, unless it's Darrell Brantley. I, mean, I think that's this is that'd be a big jump for him. Um, so that, I think that's an intriguing little aspect to this series. Like if they can get Jarek, if they can get Jeremy Grant trying to be guarded by Tony Bradley, that's a problem for us. Um, so I don't, and we need to have uh, Gobert and Jokic for most minutes. I mean, one of the other keys to the series is somebody else has got to guard Jokic for a few minutes, not just Rudy the whole time. And in the 13 minutes in which Jokic was not guarded by Gobert in the regular season, he went four for four with eight assists. They were plus 15. So they ate the Jazz up. 
<laughs> this yeah, thing. Pretty, 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 like enough to lose you an entire series. So can Royce O'Neal spend five minutes on Jokic and have Rudy drop off him and play kind of a mid-zone guarding so Torrey Craig or someone who's a non-shooter? Can, can you know, Terrell Brantley come in with his huge body and somehow as a rookie handle five minutes on Jokic? I mean, I think that'd be a really tough matchup. So um, I don't, I'm not suggesting that's a great idea. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what we're doing, and, you know, um, for any minutes that Rudy's not available to guard Jokic. I think that's a huge part of the storyline here. You have been uh, preaching threes for a long time, and certainly we've seen the league go there. And then we've seen guys like uh, Steph Curry and and JJ Redick, you know, and and they'll take shots two, three steps off that three-point line. Now Logo Lillard is out here firing away 35 and 40 footers. I mean, are this kind of like highlights and we can talk about them and be amazed by them? Or is this like somewhere the game is going to trend in five years and it's basically going to be unrecognizable to the game we grew up with? Uh, depending on how old you are, I guess it already is unrecognizable. But, you know, it won't, it won't even look like the NBA looked like 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I think it's real. Um, I actually gave a presentation, an analytics presentation this summer um, to a group, and my main presentation, my main kind of lasting thing was that the 34-foot-3 is the next thing. Um, the math on it is actually good. Um, remember, the math on the mid-range shot is really bad. The math on the mid-range shot is about 0.4, uh, or excuse me, 0.8 points per shot. So if you can start figuring that out, you only have to shoot 30% on these long shots to actually make them better. And then some things happen, have happened over the last two years that have made them more prevalent. So teams like Toronto and Boston and Milwaukee have completely committed to denying the rim defensively. That's the next trend. That's what everyone's going to do. Everyone's dropping the big. Everyone's keeping the big at the rim. Um, it's where Rudy has amazing value. But the floor has become too spread that you can't guard both. If you actually look down the statistics of all the teams in the league right now, other than the Jazz, most of the teams that deny shots at the rim, which you should, by the way, because that's a you know, 65 70% shot, um, are the highest volume of three-point shooters allowed. So the answer is that the offense just spread themselves out further. And so whether it's Lillard walking into a three, which was last night, or just guys starting Eric Gordon of Houston spacing himself five feet behind the three-point line, that's, that's going to be the next step. It just creates more space. Um, and it's there. The secondary one that's happening in this league this year that's the big next big trend in Michael Porter Jr. could really be this, is the eight or nine threes a game by a six-foot-seven or taller player. So in other words, players that are so tall that their shooting window is always available to them and they can really shoot it. And so suddenly Davis Bertans and Duncan Robinson are taking – you know, eight, nine, three is a game. Um, and, you know, if they're hitting 33 to 40% of them, they're great shots. So that's kind of, Joe doesn't have that release, um, but there's a similarity kind of the way Joe at six, seven, six, eight has done um, a bunch of things in this league just because of his size. So, yes, I think Logo Lillard, that was maybe an extreme shot, but maybe not, right? Like, um, if you dig into what ha the numbers are offensively for most teams when they get to the half court, they're not great. So if you've got a three-point shot, you're going to hit 35% of the time. It's actually a pretty good idea. We heard earlier that Mike Conley's wife was uh, pregnant and he may need to leave. Do we know the status of that as far as when she's due and all that? So 
thought I heard it was the 27th, so I don't know. Oh, it was later in the month? Yeah. But playing every other day with that schedule, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't see if he goes to the birth of his kid, right? You know, fine. Um, I just want to make sure the tone of my sentence was correct there. Um, you know, I can't see it being any less than four games. I mean, this other, unless right. we, you know, maybe we, should, we need to sweep the Nuggets, let him go home, have the baby, and then come back while Dallas pushes the Clippers to seven. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm for that. Yeah, we're gonna sign off on yeah. that. Sure. Okay. Make that happen. <laughs> I mean, that's real. Yeah. We'll. we'll I'll, I'll text Quinn today and make They'll, sure he understands that that needs to be what happens. There'll be very little complaining. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about what you think about these other playoff series. Uh, any of the lower seeds uh, more or less likely to pull upsets? Any crazy predictions, guarantees you want to throw out? Call your um, shot I've now. Got, sure. I've got two hot takes. Uh, maybe. Um, I think the Celtics are way better than anyone realizes. The amount of teams in the NBA over the last eight years have been top five in both offense and defense are really, really slim. Um, the only one that hasn't had massive playoff success was that Atlanta Hawks team under Mike Budnolzer. Um, but I, so I think that Boston is, is maybe better than people realize and I think is a very legitimate title contender. Now they got to get through Toronto and Milwaukee. Um, but I think they're really good. Um, the second one is I think I, I, I said this before they started playing badly, um, and maybe things are going to break all right for them, but when I prepped the Lakers for our second game, I, I, I went to Ron before the broadcast started, and I said, you know, I've done this for 12 years, and every time I've prepped a championship team, I've known it. That's, this is not a championship team. Um, and hear me out on this. They're 19th in the league in half-court offense. Um, that's even before they struggled in the bubble. Um, they only have one player on their entire roster who's above average on an isolation play. You know what? It's not a beautiful play, but the playoffs get down to that. Everyone knows everyone's plays, knows what you're doing. Um, they're 19th in the league in three-point shooting. We haven't had a champion that's been 19th in the league in three-point shooting. It's not top 10 three-point shooting team. It's pretty hard to win these days. Um, they're predicated. One of their things, and I picked up and was watching Anthony Davis against us, is that Anthony Davis plays the four they're in transition, I think, 19.6% of the time. When he plays the five, they're in transition about 16% of the time. Well, if they play the Rockets, they can't play JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. So Anthony Davis has to be the five. And then went and watched some film on it. It's interesting. When Anthony Davis is playing the four, he's not always down for rebounding. So what happens is they get the rebound. He's already at 15, 18 feet. He's off. And then the long outlet comes, and he is unstoppable in that. He got to Jess six times on plays like that. And a lot of times, teams are cross-matching so that, you know, we want Rudy Gobert guarding Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis is guarding Royce O'Neal. And so the rebound comes, and Anthony Davis is gone, and his guy's four, four feet, ten feet behind him. Well, if, if the Rockets are playing P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington as their centers in that matchup, then there's, Anthony Davis has got to play the five. Um so I, you know, Russell Westbrook's probably got to get healthy, and maybe more importantly, Eric Gordon's got to get healthy. Um, but if the Rockets can go by the Thunder, I like the Rockets to beat the Lakers. We saw as the uh, bubble season progressed, then during the eight games, the shootings for the Jazz started off poorly and got better. You think that there is any particular reason beyond the obvious that it was just a matter of time? Uh, there could have been some. Con- so it's interesting, like George Niang's been nicked up a little bit, so like on him you would say it's conditioning, but you're certainly not conditioning on Jordan Clarkson, 
that dude's in shape every second of the day. So um, I think it might have just been ad- adaptation of the environment, and then it also just could have been, you know, small sample size. Um, you know, I think George finished, what, um, 11 of 33 from three. So, you know, after starting at 5%, he's up to 33%. So he's trending back towards 40%. Um, Clarkson, I think, is a little higher. Clarkson's overall catch and shoot numbers are back up to 40% for the season, which is pretty incredible. And that's how the Jazz win, guys. Jazz have seven guys who shoot 40% or better on catch and shoot threes. So there's two storylines floating out there for title teams that would be, we think, largely unprecedented. And I'm wondering if you got any comparisons. One would be if Kawhi Leonard wins back-to-back titles with different teams, his third title with a third different team. I was came up with one close comparison that isn't perfect, but it's ballpark. And then the other storyline is if the Raptors lose the best player on the title team and then we're able to repeat. I mean, they're second in the East, and you just talked up the Celtics, so they could be out in the second round, right? Boston could take them out there. But if they did it, anything compared to either of those storylines if they happen? So the Raptors one is like we see in college basketball all the time, right? Keith Van Horn graduates and Andre Miller then leads the team to the Final Four. Um, Brevin Knight graduates, Arthur Lee leads Stanford. Like that actually was the same year, old reference. But we see that a lot in college. Um, we actually saw it in college football too, right? Peyton Manning left and T. Martin led them to the national championship. Um, but I don't know that we've ever seen it where they actually won the title and then go do it again with a different group. We do see kind of that superstar leaves and the team collects on the backside. Um, Will Chamberlain won how many titles? One or two? Two. One with different. One with the Sixers. One with the Warriors. Uh, Lakers. No, the second one with Lakers, the Lakers. Right. So, um, yeah, the Warriors only have, only have the one. Um, so that's one example. Walton won two titles, Boston, but and he was kind of a fringe player by Boston with the injuries. I, I had um, Sha- I had Shaq with Miami and the Lakers, and then he yeah. went with Orlando. They didn't win it, obviously. They got swept. But he went to right. a, with a third team. That was the one I came up with. Yeah, that's a, pr- that's a pretty good one. Um, you're right. Those are both really... I mean, I think Kawhi would be Kawhi is Kawhi in this bizarre is going to be this bizarre player who actually emulates the new era of basketball and the player movement while simultaneously being completely contradictory to the era of Instagram and publicity. So I think he he's a really interesting kind of societal peace and sociological experiment of the way you would look at him because on one end that the player movement and forcing his way out of San Antonio and disruption and then you know going to Toronto with them willingly saying fine we'll take one year we have no chance to win a championship with DeRozan and Lowry so we'll take the championship with you and go ahead and leave and then you know then he goes to a no-name franchise in the Clippers Um, it's pretty fascinating um, while simultaneously, you know, being the fun guy. He's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. His appearance every week brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, thanks for stopping by, and we will talk to you again next week. My pleasure. Uh, one thing to keep an eye on, Donovan Mitchell shooting about 23% when guarded by Torrey Craig. See what the Jazz can do to move Donovan Mitchell off Torrey Craig. Okay. 
He's David Locke. You'll hear him on the Jazz broadcast Monday morning, 1130. The playoffs get started. Beth Lanier, University of Utah women's volleyball coach. We've talked a lot about football and the delays and the teams that aren't going to play and the teams that have been postponed until the spring and not the only sport impacted. How's everybody else handling this? We'll talk with Beth coming up next. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank on 97.5-1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Jazz wrap up their regular season in the seeding games with 118-112 victory over the San Antonio Spurs. Most of the starters played less than 15 minutes. Rajon Tucker came off the bench and led the Jazz with 18 points in 24 minutes. Jazz will open the NBA playoffs Monday against the Nuggets at 11.30 in the morning. Damian Lillard, 42 points, 12 assists. The Blazers defeat the Nets 134-133 and clinch their spot the eighth seed in the play-in series in the Western Conference. They will face the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies beat the Bucks 119-106. And they will play Saturday and Sunday if necessary to decide who faces the Lakers when the NBA playoffs get rolling. All right. That is brought to you in part by Zions Bank. Your back-to-basketball update on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Never-ending story is more compelling than Short Circuit. No, no, stop it. no, stop. Never-ending story would win a poll against Short Circuit. Guarantee you. I can't even believe I'm putting this poll together. How do you spell circuit? <laughs> By the way, I almost hope... Do what you feel is right. I, I almost hope Never-ending story wins because if Short Circuit wins, we're going to lose you for the rest of the show. <laughs> Show memorandum. Let's just euthanize Short Circuit. My guy is as upset as any time I've ever seen him in the history of the show. What, because we speak truth? No more Short Circuit. Take Johnny Five and put a crowbar to his head. He's done. Disassemble. Johnny Five. No disassemble! Catch Hans and Scotty every day. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. We're joined now by Beth Lunier, women's volleyball coach at the University of Utah. Beth, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. You've been doing this a while, Beth. You got a, you got 31 years of experience. You've been very successful, Pac-12 Coach of the Year. I'm reading your bio right now. But have you ever seen anything like this? And what have you done that's prepared you to lead a team through this? Yeah, obviously, I've never seen anything like this. Um, I've I've told people in 30 years, I've I've never said I don't know so many times. Uh, it's just really hard to to face your athletes and and just tell them that we just don't have answers and. You know, we've just had to, you know, all the all the sports cliches have really kicked in. Um, take it a day at a time. Control what you can control. And, I, you know, I, I do think that athletes, if, if anyone's prepared for something like this, as hard as it is for, for people in athletics because we're competitors, I do think we're prepared for, for this because, we, you know, we face tough challenges all the time. But this is, this is a doozy. Um, you know, just a long, long-term challenge that we've got to keep adjusting to. And it, it's been 
it's been hard, not going to lie, but um, we are where we are. And now, you know, I think we just have to regroup. I gave my players 10 days off when we found out. They've uh, been here for two months and uh, phased in and we're uh, working out on their own. Of course, we can't, we don't have summer access to them in volleyball, but they, they were, they were grinding. And, and then there was just such a big letdown that I just said, Hey, take time. We'll see you when school starts. And everybody was happy to just try to, you know, figure out, you know, what's next. And, and that's a big thing on our agenda as coaches is what's next. So even when things are going normal, the job is challenging to stay in a very competitive environment. You're in a competitive conference and all that. Now you throw this on there, all sorts of complications. What are you tackling as far as your biggest challenges right now? Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, I I think it was a big relief just to know that we weren't playing. You know, I think we all felt like it was heading down that road and, we are in complete agreement with it. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I couldn't have imagined ben being on the road for four days, uh, you know, flying commercially and in airports. And um, and so once once we've got word that, you know, we, we in fact are not moving forward, now, now it's a whole new challenge. I mean, we were just dealing with things day by day. I mean, every single day there were new interpretations of NCAA rules coming out and every single day we were there were so many variables coming at us that we had to discuss you know what if this happens what if this happens so you know I'm, I'm, I'm taking a week off and and just gonna try to um, you know just get ready for them to come back and I, I really think it's going to take some creative leadership right now I think you know, I don't think we can do things the way we normally do them. I mean, I, we'll get back in the gym and we'll we'll do training, but the idea of of practicing, you know, whether it's six months if we have a spring season or or a year without competitions is daunting. And so, I think as coaches, we're going to have to find ways to, you know, creatively keep them engaged. Um, I think we're going to have to find ways to have a lot of fun because this is hard, heavy stuff and gosh, playing sports is supposed to be fun at the end of the day. And so that's, those are the things I'm thinking about. Like, how are we going to make this, you know, just as good of opportunity and experience as we can have. And then, and then I do want to look at it as an opportunity. Um, you know, we, we have beach volleyball at the U and, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to explore what, you know, what does it look like for us to go out on the sand and play some volleyball as well. So, you know, we just have to change our mindset now, now that we've got a little bit of time. Beth Lanier, University of Utah women's volleyball coach, uh, joining us. So I'm curious what you do with uh, athletes' eligibility. And I guess you have to know about the spring season first, if they would move volleyball mm-hmm. to the spring. But you've got three seniors. I think one of them, at least, is a redshirt senior. You also have freshmen, and I don't know if they took summer school classes or would they maybe mm-hmm. delay starting their clock by not going to school for a semester? Mm-hmm. It seems like there's all kinds of things to consider. Yeah, that's the that's what we deal with every single day, all these variables. In fact, I have a call with Kate Sharper, our compliance person, right after this. Um, and I just I told her I need an hour of your time. <laughs> so I have to go through all these scenarios with you. Um, but, you know, basically everybody's going to get a red shirt this year if we don't play in the spring. You know, every everyone, you know, if you don't play a game, 
you get an automatic red shirt. Um, we have questions about kids that have already redshirted. Do they get a six year? Um, I believe they do. Um, so I don't, I don't think eligibility is going to be the bigger issue. The bigger issue, the biggest issue, the bigger issue is going to be the scholarship situation. Um, you know, we've got to do some management of that because we're just going to have all of a sudden a bunch of fifth year players down the road. Now I, I, I do suspect that they will, if, if we don't play in the spring, if we play in the spring, you know, there's not going to be that many um, things to, to adjust. But if we wait to the fall, I, I do believe that they will give us, the, you know, what they're calling super senior scholarships um, to the, the seniors that want to come back. And, I mean, that was the precedent that was set for the spring athletes. And, boy, I'd be surprised if that didn't happen, and that's what I'm hearing. And so – for next year, it's it's okay, you know. We'll have the scholarships, and you know we have two senior All Americans returning. Um, I've had a lot of peers reach out to me and you know kind of give me their condolences because we were really ready and geared to have a great year. <clears throat> but uh, both my all, well, you know, my seniors are planning on coming back. We've we've discussed that, and so I think we're set there. But it, then it's it's down the road where you have to go. Okay, well, what now is the situation with our with our scholarship distribution and uh, there's going to be some challenges we have to work through it lots of conversations uh i don't know what exactly it's going to look like yet but but those are the conversations that we're having so we heard with football as far as the spring well if you had a spring season then surely you couldn't go into the next season on time because the body needs to recuperate and all that how will that work for your sport if you had a spring season as far as then the fall a year from now being able to go in on a regularly scheduled time clock yeah mark harlan called me and asked me that specific question and um you know i I don't think it'll be easy. Um, yeah, I told them I think we're just tougher than the football players, so I think no we question. can probably do it. <laughs> you know, it, it won't be easy. You know, it's it's a grind on the players' bodies. Yeah, we're not we're not hitting each other, but we're throwing our bodies on the on the hardwood floor and and we're jumping. You know, 150 times, 150 to you know 200 times every day. Um, so I think I think that's a problem. I think that's an issue. I, you know, I. I don't know how we'll manage that. Again, something we've never done before. I, we have great people at the U. I, I have what I call the volleyball performance team, and we have uh, you know just a lot of really smart people that deal with performance, and including you know Ernie Reimer, he's a sports scientist, and our strength coaches and our trainers, and and you know we're we we get pretty specific on our training based on based on data and based on science, so. You know, we count jumps every single day. We know what their workload is. So we'll definitely have to manage that. And then, you know, look at science. Look at look at what, you know, if there's any precedence for stuff like that and, and dig in and, you know, figure it out. If that's what they tell us we have to do, we'll just have to figure it out. Beth Lanier joining us, University of Utah women's volleyball coach. So recruiting gets impacted by this, too, and I assume that volleyball is a lot like basketball and that you're evaluating athletes a lot more on their, on their club than you are on their high school, and I'm wondering how much that club scene got has been disrupted and what you've been able to do. Yeah, we basically, you know, can't do anything. Um, I, I'll tell you what we can do. We can watch a lot of video, and it's been really interesting watching the club, the club world and, and high school now, too, 
you know, they're, those coaches are getting creative and, and they're finding ways to stream. Um, you know, they're still playing, right? And so they're finding ways to stream their practices and they're getting video to us. Um, and so that's, you know, I think this is going to change recruiting in some ways. You know, I think, you know, I don't think we've always done recruiting in a very efficient way at all. And so I, I think there's some takeaways that we can, you know, garner from this situation. And one of them is going to be a little bit more of, of online streaming evaluation type stuff. And then the other thing is, is we've actually, you know, in terms of recruiting, in some ways it's been a little bit better. Um, we've had great conversations with players over Zooms, and it's like we're doing a home visit every day. You know, we're, we're going into their home, and mom and dad are behind them, and we're getting to know them. And, you know, we just have a little more time to do that. So that's that's been a positive. But, um, you know, it's always scary to try to recruit off of video. Obviously, you, you want to see players in person, and so that's been a challenge. Uh, but we're moving forward with our recruiting, and we've had success during this time. And I think, like I said, I think there's some positives to take to take from what we're learning through this situation. So Mark Harlan on his Zoom call the other day estimated a loss of 50 to $60 million because of this situation. <laughs> Do you anticipate some type of ramifications for your program financially? Well, I'm, you know, if my phone shows up with a phone call from Mark or Kyle Brennan right now, you know, I'm, I'm going to know what's coming, you know, that something's coming. I, yeah, listen, Mark was very honest and very transparent with the athletic department. We had an entire athletic department Zoom, and he said everybody's going to be affected by this. There's not, you know, including him, and there's not going to be, you know, one person that, that isn't affected. So, you know, I I feel like, I don't know, I, I you know, I can't speak to the numbers. It's not my area. Mark has shared with us that he, you know, feels, like we're in as good a position as we could be in maybe compared to some other schools but yeah it's it's going to be tough um you know I, I'll, I'll give a little shout out to you know dr chris hill he he did a great job while he was here he you know he i i couldn't get as much money from him as i have you know always wanted but he did a nice job of 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 you know budget management so we'll see yeah it's going to be a huge loss um I don't know what to expect for the volleyball program right now. I'm I'm waiting to hear, as every other coach and every other employee of the athletics department is. I know I know it's it's going to be tight. It's going to be for sure tightening things. You know, hey, we we were living the good life. You know, we were, yeah, we were. Um, you know, I think all the Power Five programs were <clears throat> feeling that you know we had what we needed and we were, you know, doing what we needed to do and. Excuse me. Are there areas that we can we can cut back and, and be more diligent with our budget? Yeah, for sure. And we're looking at those kind of things and we're finding them. And but how big a, big of a hit it's going to be, we're not sure yet. Beth Lanier, Utah women's volleyball coach, joining us. I'm curious as you talk to coaches around the country. Uh, you're in a Power Five league, so you're in a different spot. But around the country. Is volleyball a sport that's going to be impacted, or do you think we'll see cuts in sports and there'll be other sports? Do you get any sense of mm-hmm. what you hear from other coaches? Well, it's interesting. I actually just had a, a long conversation with our executive director of our coaches association, uh, Kathy DeBoer at the ABCA. And, you know, she shared with me that, you know, the non-Power 5 schools <clears throat> and non-football schools certainly are not feeling 
you know, the disruption that we're feeling because they just weren't as dependent on their football program as obviously we are. So I don't know. I, you know, we, like we discussed, I, I don't think any athletic director got into this to, you know, to cut sports and to, you know, cut livelihood. So I, you know, I, I have to believe that people are going to do whatever they can. And I, I, I really hope there's not mass cuts of, of other sports because, you know, the other sports don't count as, don't cost as much, you know? I mean, where do big cuts have to come from? I don't know, but um, I don't think this is going to be a situation where, you know, you can nickel and dime this. So, you know, you know, where, whether it's borrowing or, or, or what, I, I can't answer that, but um it was an interesting conversation listening to her talk about, you know, the non-football schools and, and, and they're just going to ride it out and maybe be in a little better situation. Mm. Or not better not than now, but maybe not get, you know, hit quite as, as much. So you passed the 30-year mark. My money's on you passing the 40-year mark. <laughs> oh, you think so? Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You know, hey, Elaine Michaelis did it many years ago down at That's BYU. Why I, was, and... I was thinking of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't even imagine it. But, uh, no, yeah, I'm still going strong. I, I don't think about it very much. Um, Russ Rose, uh, you know, he's at Penn State Volleyball. Uh, traditional powerhouse and won a number of um, national championships, and he's always checking in. He's always going, "You, you going to keep up with me?" And I'm like, "I'm, I'm right behind you, Russ." So, uh, still going strong. And this is, uh, like I said, it's been a big challenge, but it's going to be interesting to, to work our way out of it. It's, it's, uh, it's. Uh, I'm trying to change my mindset. Let's put it that way. You know, we, like I said, we've just been in the day to day grind of, of tough stuff and. I'm going to take a little bit of time and try to figure out, you know, what's the opportunity here and, um, you know, how to creatively come out of that. And it's, it's a new challenge for me. So I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm going to try to approach it from that perspective. Well, Coach, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck with whatever the future throws at you when you see a certain number on your cell phone. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Keep, yeah, we'll we'll just keep – you know, taking it day by day. Uh, sports cliches are alive and well, but um, I think that's our best way to approach it. So thanks, you guys. Appreciate you. Thanks, Beth. And I uh, love having Beth Lanier on. And, PK, we can talk to some other coaches and some other sports, but uh, BYU and Utah in women's volleyball and women's soccer, you know, those, those four teams combined have just a boatload of NCAA tournament appearances, Sweet 16s, in some cases, Final Fours. And uh, I expect they're going through a lot of the same stuff right now. I, I think the answers we heard from her is that... Oh, it's representative, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it, it speaks to what a lot of programs are going through. And it is an interesting point she makes about cutting sports, that the schools that are losing the most money also are the schools that have the most money. Uh, and certainly we saw Stanford cut sports, and we've seen other cut sports others uh, cut sports. You know, a league like the MAC maybe is right in, what's the reverse of the sweet spot, the sour spot? You know, where they do have football and they are dependent and they do have an ESPN contract so they got hurt, but they don't have, you know, some of the cushion, you know, to build a rainy day fund the way a Utah can and it's certainly the way an Ohio State or Alabama or Texas can. So right. maybe we won't get wide sweep. I, I kind of think that even as we see sports cut, there's some sports that are okay and I would expect... 
on the women's side, basketball, volleyball, and soccer, it'd be three that'd be all right. As, as Riley That's said, softball. As Riley, oh yeah, I think softball is another one that would probably be okay. I think you know when Riley started talking about some of the other sports. You, you if you're in a sport where. Um, you know, there's 50 or 100 or 150 teams playing, and not everybody's playing. I think it's a little riskier, but I think those four sports have widespread participation. So those God, ought to I be okay. I stay, but, but certainly them, yeah, yeah. I got your point. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. More on the Jazz, more on the uh, playoff matchup with the Nuggets. We talked to David Locke earlier. I got some thoughts on that coming up. Stay with us, DJ and PK. been a long four months. Welcome. Oh, Donovan, don't do me like that. But finally, the NBA is back. Back up and hammer. That is filthy, Rudy. Catch every second of every moment of Utah Jazz basketball. As the Jazz resume play from the bubble in Orlando, your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. I just had David Locke and Beth Lanier on in back-to-back uh, segments. David to talk about the NBA playoffs and Beth to talk about the, the impact of uh, everything that's happening in college sports on on her women's volleyball team there at Utah. So we didn't really have time to follow up on what David Locke told us about the Nuggets, PK. But I thought, uh, I thought he was spot on. The team the Nuggets wanted to see, the Jazz. And without Bogdanovich, there are probably a lot of teams that wouldn't mind seeing the Jazz here. Uh, but both these teams have changed and are different. You know, you're gonna, one thing you always look at, even though I don't think it's the most telling thing ever, is, uh, you know, well, what was the season series like? And, you know, there was a time in the NBA when teams were playing six times a year and you could get a pretty good read. But then it dropped to four, and then depending on who you draw in the West, sometimes it's three. And certainly this year, uh, you know, they're not even playing the complete 82 games. So the Jazz played the Nuggets three times. And these teams have changed a lot since the first two times they played. And... With uh, I don't know, I know you're watching it closely. I don't know how closely our, our listeners are watching it. But, you know, Michael Porter Jr. was a hyped guy for a long time. And suddenly, he's healthier than he's been. He's getting more playing time than he's had. And it's not that he didn't do some good things before the layoff. But he's had probably three games. And it's not three out of eight because they've still got to play their eighth game. So it's three out of seven. And a couple games, they limited his minutes. So I'm kind of looking at him thinking he's just a wild card and an X factor. He doesn't have the playoff experience, but, man, if he's on, and you look at what Denver did last year, and then you think, man, if you're adding him into the mix, this could be awesome for the Nuggets. But I don't know how it's all going to come together for him in the playoffs with him not having that much experience. And a couple other guys, you know, they've had hamstring issues. Are they going to be able to play? Or are they going to have to, you know, miss games at some point in this series? How's that going to work? Well, that's what makes this thing intriguing, and that's what makes playoff series, particularly in the NBA, intriguing because it's like a big scientific lab. Yeah. You put these all these guys together. How's it all going to work against this team? It's something that you don't have in really any other sport. And I realize in baseball you have seven-game series, but the nature of those individual games change so much depending on the starting pitching and, and really the pitching in general, but particularly the starting pitching. It's like you have a seven-game series in baseball, but there are like a bunch of one-game series based on who's pitching that day. Well, that's not the case in basketball. It's the same guys going out there 
for all seven or however many games you have, and you really hone in on it. We saw, what was it, last year when the Jazz had that unusual defensive strategy against Harden, right? We hadn't seen mm-hmm. that. And so you see, you don't see that in a regular season because you play them and then you move on to the next one. Well, here you don't. How's it all going to play? And Porter has been lighting it up, but he's been taking advantage of guys being out of the lineup without Harris and uh, Burton, right? So yeah. what those guys, if they come back, well, what's that going to mean? It's not like you just bring them back and then just add Porter's 30 points or whatever he's been scoring. He's had some big games. It doesn't work that way. It's a big pile, and you're putting all these guys into a pot, and how do they all work together in that way? And plus you got these defensive matchups of what happens with Jokic and where Rudy is and all that stuff, and it really gets so intriguing. I, I think that's where the coaching really comes in the most is when you get into the postseason and what type of strategy that these guys are going to use. And we didn't even touch on Mitchell, and I would and he talked about uh, who was guarding him with Mitchell. Craig, did he said yes that. Yeah, well, to, to, to me, and we can explore it here in the last hour, uh, Mitchell has just really, I, I think he's taken off in Orlando in limited time. And so how is that going to translate now in the playoffs when it really, really matters? Now all this other stuff is fun and games. Well, now it matters, man. Now yeah. it's all about winning. And whatever you got to do to win by one point, you take it. Well, it's interesting because, and, and we can get into this next, that what has worked against the Jazz in the past is not what I think the Nuggets are going to try and do and exploit. So the issues they've had in the past with a you know specific defense, I, I don't think they're going to face in this. They can't face both of these problems. I think they can only face one of them. We can get to that coming up next. And we can also get to David Locke validating you. People like to tell you you're no matter what. And he said something. You've been saying it for yeah, a while. You know where they can go to? <laughs> I got an idea. <laughs> all right, we'll get to all that next. DJ and PK, stay with us.